I wanted to be the next Ian Healy uh, as well. Uh, Where I grew up, uh, backyard cricket, uh, it it was the thing. And I reckon uh, it's the perfect game, Uh, except the only downside is all of the obstacles. Uh, Someone would hit a great shot and we'd all pay. Uh, The game would stop. We'd have to go searching for the ball. Um, I didn't find that to be a lot of fun. Uh, And in fact, in my family, I was known uh, as a lazy searcher. Uh, Maybe some of you are guilty of this as well. Uh, It's when you have a bit of a look around. Uh, Maybe you sort of kick the grass a little bit, uh, a token kick in the long grass as though you're participating in the great ball search uh, when really you're just waiting for someone else to find it. Uh, searching for the ball. That's the downside to backyard cricket. I I can't think of any others. Uh, I just could not be bothered. Uh, We we just had three famous parables read to us from Luke chapter 15. And each of them has to do with God's approach to the lost. And thankfully, we see that when when it comes to finding people, God's no lazy searcher like I am in backyard cricket. Uh, These parables, that they show us, don't they, that that God is not indifferent to those who don't yet know him. And they remind us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Now, you might know that truth really well, uh, and I hope that you do. But when Jesus, he tells these three parables, the occasion determines what he says. The occasion we know from those first two verses, tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him, the kind of people who already know that they're lost. Uh, Jesus is drawing them in. They want to hear what he has to say. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the, the Jewish religious elite, they mutter, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The religious elite, they don't approve of Jesus' philosophy of ministry. He's spending time with the wrong people. He's wasting his time. This teacher has no idea, they seem to think. The occasion determines what Jesus says. And so Jesus, he addresses this mixed crowd and explains why he does what he does. God's approach to the lost. And those first two parables, Jack read one, Karen read the other. They're similar, aren't they? A lost sheep, a lost coin, something valuable goes missing and a serious, a diligent search follows. One sheep out of a hundred may seem insignificant. A, a modern farmer would just write that off as a loss. No big deal. Sheep don't cost that much. But not here. The farmer leaves the 99 that are safe in search of the one. He finds it. And what does he do? He puts on a party. He rejoices. He hosts a celebration. Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. A woman has 10 silver coins. She loses one. A serious search follows. A lamp is lit. The house is swept. She finds the coin. And what does she do? She rejoices. She hosts a celebration. She puts on a party. And the point of both parables is clear. Heaven 
rejoices over one, just one sinner who repents. Just one person found is valuable. The value of, of what is found often determines uh, or motivates the, the search, doesn't it? Backyard cricket, just some old tennis ball we would be using. Uh, I couldn't care less. A lost person found, there's a celebration in heaven. It's a great reminder, isn't it? You are valuable to God. Uh, every one of you, heaven rejoices when one often seemingly insignificant person, puts their trust in Jesus. Now, that, that might be you today. Uh, you may be a part of our church. You, you have been for some time, but it's, it, it's no coincidence that you're here. God's no lazy searcher. It could be you. It could be your friend, your family member. It could be one of your kids' rather annoying friends. But for the person who knows that they don't measure up to God's standard, the message here, come to Jesus, trust and follow him. You will be the focus of a celebration in heaven. You don't need to get your, your things in order. Just come to Jesus. The next parable, even more famous than the first two, tells the, the story of the father and those two sons. It's a lost and found parable again, but with a difference. The younger of the two brothers wants, well, he wants his inheritance early. Now, if you're a kid, I don't know whether you've thought, looked at what your parents own and thought, I want their stuff early. I know when I was a kid, I, I thought about that a bit. Uh, if you said to dad, dad, can I have my inheritance now? Most dads would just say, get lost. Uh, surprisingly, the father in this story, he doesn't reprimand the youngest son. He doesn't say, get lost. He doesn't just tell him, get back to work, boy, or even drive him out of the house altogether. But he actually gives the inheritance. And according to, to Jewish custom in the first century, this would have been one third of all that this father had. The older son gets a double portion. This is the, the younger son. And so land and animals would have been sold. It may have threatened the profitability of, of the family business. In verse 12, where it says he divided his property... The Greek word behind this uh, means life. He divided his life, his livelihood. This child says, you're dead to me, dad. I just want you for what I can get out of you. And the father endures the agony of rejected love. And, and, you know, we know things don't go well for this younger son. He, he lives it up, you might say, prostitutes and parties, wild living. But the money runs out and there's a famine that makes things even worse. And in the hope of survival, he, he goes for the lowest possible job that any Jew would have, working with pigs. The Jews were meant to steer clear of pigs. They are a dirty, unclean animal. In fact, it seems the pigs were doing better than him. You look at what pigs eat, 
and he longed to eat their food. That's how low he was. And in verse 17, we're told he comes to his senses, this younger son, knowing that his father's servants have food to spare. He thinks, well, I'll return. And he writes down, you imagine, he thinks through this prepared speech, verse 18. I know what I'll say. Father, I've sinned against you and against, well, against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired men. But as this dodgy son is a long way off, the father sees him and is filled with compassion. The son who has rejected him, you're dead to me, dad. I just want you for what I can get. The father, he's not waiting to say it serves you right, boy. But he's waiting to show compassion. And the father runs to him. You may know men don't run in this culture. He throws his arms around the son. He kisses him. And finally the son gets that, gets to his, his speech. But he, he's barely through it. And the best robe is on his shoulders. A ring is on his finger, sandals on his feet, and the fatted calf is killed. And what does the father do? He throws a party and he rejoices. He hosts a celebration. It's a bit like those first two stories, isn't it? And it says a lot about how God relates to people who don't yet know him. Someone might think, well, I've reached the point where God won't forgive me. Uh, I've gone too far. Someone might think to themselves, told God to get lost in no uncertain terms. I've done something, a sin that is so, life's a mess. And you may expect to God, God to say, it serves you right, I told you so. But from this parable, we see that God is waiting to show compassion. God's no lazy searcher. Doesn't matter what you've done. God welcomes the repentant sinner. But you say, oh, I've done this or that. It, it doesn't matter what you've done. God welcomes the repentant sinner. And no matter how insignificant you may feel, heaven hosts a party. And, you know, Begara Presbyterian Church, we want to be a church that reflects this character, don't we? Ready to show compassion. Eager to forgive. It doesn't matter what you've done. Come to Jesus. Notice, though, this parable doesn't end with a celebration like the first two. In fact, you could say this parable ends on a really sad note. The older brother is working and only hears about the party once it's underway. It's a bit rough, isn't it? It's underway and, and he's angry. He refuses to go in. Notice verse 28. The father goes out to him and pleads with him. But he answers verse 29 and 30. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. 
yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Now we might be tempted to say fair enough. This older son, he's been toiling away. But why should his younger brother get the special treatment? It's not fair, is it? It's not fair. What the father says in response is striking, verse 31. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. The older brother couldn't rejoice. The older brother couldn't celebrate. The younger son resented his father and and took off, didn't he? You're dead to me, dad, only to realize his mistake. The older brother stays, but it seems he resents working for his father. Uh, There's a bloke who who works as a chaplain um, in prisons. He used to be a Presbyterian minister. uh, And he said, working with inmates is the easiest ministry I've ever done. At least in one way. They're ready to receive the gospel, he said. They're broken people. No one has to show them that they're in the wrong. They're in jail. They know they need saving. This older son, though, has failed to recognize his position. Perhaps he has a neat and tidy life. He might even see himself as a real asset to the father. He might be a high-achieving go-getter. He's a good person and an upstanding citizen. He thinks the father owes him, perhaps. But he's wrong, isn't he? I've been slaving for you, he says. This father is anything but a slave driver. You know what's sad about this parable? The occasion determines what Jesus says here. And it is a a mixed crowd. There are those who know their sinners, like the, the younger son in the parable. And there's the religious elite. The religious elite who were muttering, this Jesus, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So I reckon this is Jesus saying to the religious elite, you're lost too. Please come in. As they question Jesus' priorities, Jesus says, no, you're actually sinners too. Both sons in the parable need saving. Jesus explains his philosophy of ministry he's searching for the lost and aside from him all people are lost a life not led by the son of god the good shepherd is off track but what did jesus say it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick i've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance And we know, I hope, a Christian is someone who realizes that aside from Jesus, we are helpless. And so we cry out to him for help, help for salvation. 
through his sacrificial death on that cross and help for day-to-day living with and for him. And so I reckon uh, as, you know, what, what, how old is this church? Six years or something? Seven years? Um, five? I don't know. We, we, we should be careful of that problem of arrival. As if we get to a point where our good living, our neat and tidy lives somehow measure up to God's standard. As if our service of God might make him our debtor and not the other way around. To think we're saving ourselves is to be kidding ourselves. And can I say, if you're in this sort of a place, feeling like God owes you in some way or another, Watch out. You may have a misunderstanding of both sin and grace. The Father in this parable is gracious. So is our Father in heaven. He, re- he forgives the repentant sinner. It doesn't matter what you've done. Come to him and you'll be forgiven. But we must know our need. Where to be sinners washed in the blood of Christ. Anyway, uh, God's no lazy searcher, is he? And so nor should his people be. And so we pray for the lost. We speak of Jesus to our friends and family. It's awkward. It's challenging. Not just a prodding of the grass. Yeah, I'm on about this. And we pray that God would help us care. That we would have a profound heart for others who don't yet know him. Jesus, the great missionary, God, the son who came from where? Heaven to earth, that we might know him. Um, just, just to finish, um, have you, you've heard of C.T. Studd, some of you? He, he was, um, I don't know what backyard cricket was like at his place, um, but he gave up professional cricket to become a missionary. Uh, And he wasn't just a professional cricketer. He was the best. Uh, This is the story of his dad's conversion. When his dad became a Christian, he was concerned that he would have to give up all of the different things that he loved. He was a wealthy man. He liked going to the theatre. He liked putting on balls, dances, and he loved cars. And the preacher that he was talking to, uh, he said, don't worry so much about about this do do those things as long as you like he said mr stud you you have children and people you love you're now a saved man yourself you'll want to get them saved and so and as soon as you've won a soul you won't care much for those other things and that's apparently what happened C.T. Studd said of his dad that everyone in their house had a dog's life of it until they were converted. His dad used to come into his bedroom at night and ask him, are you converted yet? Uh, I don't recommend this, by the way. But, you you know, um, when he'd see his dad and he was getting home, he'd go around the side of the house and in the back to avoid his dad uh, because he was worried he would ask. The preacher was right to the astonishment of his children and many others, he didn't care so much for those other things any longer. 
but he cared about that one thing, saving souls. How about we pray that that may be the same for us? Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you for these quite famous parables. Uh, A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a couple of lost sons. Lord God, we thank you that you are no lazy searcher. That when humanity turned away from you, uh, you sent your son into the world to reconcile us to you. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus who came from heaven to earth, that we might know you and be forgiven and that we might join in your grand plan of salvation that others might know you too. Lord, this afternoon we pray that you would forgive us for not caring so much at times for those who don't yet know you. And Lord, we pray that you would do a number on us, that you would shape and change us, that we would care profoundly for those who don't yet know you as their Lord. Father, we pray that we would know you as, or know Jesus as the good shepherd and that we might enjoy you. And as we do that, those other things might not matter so much to us anymore. Lord God, please take us and mold us and shape us according to your will and for your glory. Father in heaven, we thank you for this farm, the the Pearson farm. We thank you for the ministry of the gospel that it is. And we pray, Lord, for the people who come onto this farm, disadvantaged youth. We pray that you would be using this place, that they too might know Jesus. And we pray that the Pearson services and, and its ministry might be increasing and multiplying as well. We pray all these things in the mighty name of our King Jesus. Amen.